Let me pray for us. We'll get started. Father, thank you so much for um, uh, the space that you've given us, the time that you've given us. Um, O Lord, the church here, thank you most of all for your word and for Jesus, that we have good news this morning to gather together as men to celebrate. And we pray that you would give us your spirit to that end, that you would make us a joyful people together, that you would uh, convict us in those places this morning where we need deep conviction, and that you would give us assurance as well that you love us, not because we woke up early, but because you were gracious and kind. We pray that we might know you more through your word and that you would give us your spirit to that end. In Christ's name, amen. So I wonder this morning, I wanted to start this way, I wonder if you've ever received an invitation in your life, an invitation in your life to something so compelling that when you received the invitation, you did not have to pause and think about your answer. There was no uncertainty at all. You were immediately willing to drop everything else and rearrange your life in order to say yes. Perhaps it was something, you got an invitation to something that was beyond your power to ever get on your own. A few years back before we moved to Dallas, uh, uh, my wife and I were living in St. Louis. And an old friend reached out to us and asked us if we wanted to go skiing with him in Big Sky, Montana. It's an incredible place if you've never been there. Um, and his offer was all expenses paid. We didn't have to pay anything. Pay for this, the, you know, this, the, the lift tickets, the place to stay, even the plane flight. I was in grad school at the time, and there was uh, no possible way we could have afforded to do that had he not offered that way. Also, there was no, absolutely no way that we were willing to miss that opportunity. So my wife kind of dropped everything at work. I dropped everything at school, and we made the trip happen. When he asked, when he offered, she was away, and immediately when he offered, I said, yes, I'll figure out her later. <laughs> now, thankfully, she was in. So I wonder if you ever received an invitation like that before, to maybe a, a trip or, um, you know, an opportunity uh, to go to dinner with someone that you've always wanted to meet. Um, uh, maybe you got a job offer. It was your dream job, and you immediately knew that there, really, I needed to say yes to that, or maybe even it was a relationship. Um, in which you immediately knew in the relationship that you were sort of out of your league. She was way too good for you. A few years back, I I had a man come to me and say, uh, you know, Chad, I don't respect the man who doesn't marry up. And then he said, and I really respect you. (laughs) Love, love, love the well-delivered backhanded compliment. But it's this sense of uh, receiving an incredulous invitation, an invitation that really for you this morning is worth dropping everything else for, an invitation that's worth rearranging your life for, an invitation for which our hearts and our minds should be eager. It's this that lies at the very heart of the book of Proverbs. As we'll soon see this morning and throughout our time together this semester, we would be fools to refuse the invitation. Because it's an invitation to something that if you have it, the Bible says, if you have it, you will do well in life regardless of your circumstances. And if you don't have it, conversely, if you lack it, then you will make a complete mess of your life, no matter how talented or important or wealthy you might be. The invitation that the book of Proverbs extends to us is an invitation to wisdom. In the the book... The scriptures think so highly of wisdom 
that they say it's literally, it's possession that is, is literally a matter of life and death for us. And this will be our focus for Tuesday mornings this semester. It is an invitation to wisdom so that we as men might know what it is to live well. To live well for the glory of God, for your good, and for the good of those to whom God has joined you in your life. This morning serves as an introduction to the book as a whole. In fact, uh, this week and the next two weeks, just to give you a bird's eye perspective, will all really serve as an orientation to how to read and engage in the book of Proverbs for yourself. Proverbs, if you've ever read it, is not a linear book. Maybe you've experienced that before. Um, It's not linear. It is instead more like, um, I don't know, like a gigantic puzzle or multiple puzzles in which the pieces are sort of strewn all around throughout the pages. So we are going to begin over the next few weeks by orienting ourselves to the big ideas so that you'll be able to go home and read well the book for yourself. And then we're going to take, after the next three weeks, we're going to take three of the larger subjects in the book. Three of the larger subjects in the books that will be um, uh, eminently practical for you. Work. Relationships. And money. Work, relationships, and money. And we're going to look specifically at how wisdom comes to bear in those areas in our lives as men. We'll spend a couple of those, our weeks on each of those topics. So let's jump in this morning with our orientation to wisdom. We're going to begin this morning by reading uh, all of Proverbs 8. It's a long section. It is wisdom personified as a lady. Wisdom personified as a lady. And as we read this chapter, which is really a poem, I want you to notice the features of wisdom that make her attractive. Okay, did you hear me? I want you to notice as we read the features of wisdom that make her attractive. The chapter tells us that lady wisdom calls to us. So why should we answer? What is it that makes the call to wisdom so attractive? Let's read together now, starting in verse 1, Proverbs 8. Does not wisdom call? Does not understanding raise her voice? On the heights beside the way, at the crossroads, she takes her stand. Beside the gates in front of the town, at the entrance of the portal, she cries aloud. To you, O men, I call. And my cry is to the children of man. O simple ones, learn prudence. O fools, learn sense. Hear, for I will speak of noble things, and from my lips will come what is right. For my mouth will utter truth. Wickedness is an abomination to my lips. All the words of my mouth are righteous. There is nothing twisted or crooked in them. They are all straight to him who understands and right to those who find knowledge. Take my instruction instead of silver, and knowledge rather than choice gold, for wisdom is better than jewels, and all that you may desire cannot compare with her. I, wisdom, dwell with prudence, and I find knowledge and discretion. The fear of the Lord is hatred of evil. Pride and arrogance and the way of evil and perverted speech I hate. I have counsel and sound wisdom. I have insight. I have strength. By me kings reign, and rulers decree what is just. By me princes rule and nobles, all who govern justly. I love those who love me, and those who seek me diligently find me. Riches and honor are with me, enduring wealth and righteousness. My fruit is better than gold, even fine gold in my yield and choice silver. I walk in the way of righteousness and the paths of justice. 
granting an inheritance to those who love me and filling their treasuries. The Lord possessed me at the beginning of his work, the first of his acts of old. Ages ago I was set up, at the first before the beginning of the earth. When there were no depths, I was brought forth, when there were no springs abounding with water. Before the mountains had been shaped, before the hills, I was brought forth. Before he had made the earth with its fields, or the first of the dust of the world. When he established the heavens, I was there. When he drew a circle on the face of the deep, when he made firm the skies above. When he established the fountains of the deep, when he assigned to the sea its limits, so that the waters might not transgress his command. When he marked out the foundations of the earth, then I was beside him, like a master workman, and I was daily his delight, rejoicing before him always, rejoicing in his inhabited world and delighting in the children of man. And now, O sons, listen to me. Blessed are those who keep my ways. Hear instruction and be wise and do not neglect it. Blessed is the one who listens to me, watching daily at my gates, waiting beside my doors. For whoever finds me finds life and obtains favor from the Lord. But he who fails to find me injures himself. All who hate me love death. This is God's word to us this morning. Three major things I want you to see this morning um, from the passage uh, to help orient us to the book of Proverbs as a whole. They're recurring themes, but I want you to see them specifically from this chapter this morning. The first is this, I want you to see the priority of wisdom, why it's so important, why we should hold it in such high regard. Secondly, I want you to see the definition of wisdom. What is, de- what is wisdom? What does it mean? How are we to think about it? And then finally, I want you to see from our text this morning the source of wisdom, at least a hint to the source of wisdom. Where do we go to actually get it? So wisdom's priority, wisdom's meaning, and finally, wisdom's source. And we'll take those in order. First, the priority of wisdom. I mentioned earlier that Proverbs is not a linear book. Again, if you've ever read any of the Proverbs, you've probably figured that out before. It just means that the book of Proverbs is not a story. Um, It's not a letter. It's not a manual that you just read intuitively from cover to cover. Proverbs is mostly mostly a collection of short sayings. It is mostly a collection of easy-to-memorize aphorisms. Now, you can imagine how important this was for a people who didn't have access to libraries or the Internet, right? I mean, Israel was an oral people. Now, that didn't mean they didn't have books. They had access, of course, like we had before us, um, to the written scriptures. But the populace, the populace didn't have ready access to books. They lived out the truth of scripture by talking about it. They lived out the truth of Scripture over and over again by talking about it wherever they went, in their work, um, at home, and by committing those truths to memory. They didn't keep journals. They didn't have Evernote reminders. So Proverbs was especially helpful because it was filled, it is filled, with these short, pithy sayings in forms that are easy to remember and to carry out with us and for them into their daily lives. In the first few chapters of the book, however, you get another literary form that is paired with the aphorisms that also aided the people in how they learned. And that literary form was poetry. Chapter 8, the the chapter that we just read, is a poem. And poetry is helpful to learn because poetry is meant to do this. It's meant to emblazon certain images on our hearts and in our minds in order to form our imaginations, to to uh, to give us holy imaginations 
unto the Lord. So in Proverbs, you basically get poetry and you get sayings. These are two of the most common literary forms in the book. Now, what we've just read is perhaps the most um, famous poem in Proverbs. It's the one about Lady Wisdom. You heard me read it, if you say, wait. <laughs> you heard me read the description and the actions of Lady Wisdom. So I want you to think to yourself for a moment. What do you think of her? What's your impression of, the, of this lady? Let me ask it this way rhetorically. Is Lady Wisdom a woman that you would want to get to know well? Now, I know that's a strange question for a married man to ever get. You would, like, you're programmed to say, no. It's a woman. I don't want to get to know anyone else well. But, you know, 99% of the cases, that's true. But for a moment, let the poetry do its work. Wisdom here, as the poet tells us, is a woman of beauty. Wisdom is a woman of nobility. Wisdom is a woman of wealth and deep generosity who makes us better men for having been with her. In the deliberate intention of this poem of imagining wisdom in the figure of this beautiful, intelligent woman is to make us say to ourselves as men, I would be crazy not to desire her. I would be, I would be crazy not to want her. Of course I want her. And what the poet is saying to you this morning, and you have to see this, is that wisdom is not just useful for you as a man. Wisdom is beautiful. Wisdom is something to be desired above all else. How badly should we desire it? I just want you to see how the chapter concludes for a moment in verse 34. So look with me there. Verse 34 says this. Blessed is the one who listens to me, watching daily at my gates, and waiting beside my doors. Okay, do you get the picture? Um, what kind of man would be daily at a woman's gates and waiting beside her doors? It's a man who is a suitor. A man who is a devoted lover. A man who is waiting for his beloved in hopes of winning, of catching a glimpse of her, and then winning her attention and her affection. Listen to me. In romantic terms, chapter 8 is saying that wisdom, men, should be the priority of your life. Wisdom should be the priority of your life. It is worthy as one of the greatest pursuits of your life. If you want it in non-romantic terms, <laughs> if you are a utilitarian who just wants the bottom line, maybe go get your wife some flowers this afternoon before you get home. But let me put it to you in words that are very straightforward from earlier in the book. Proverbs 4, 7 puts it like this. The beginning of wisdom is this. Get wisdom. And whatever else you get in life, get insight. See, the book of Proverbs reiterates time and time again that there is no priority or need in your life right now as a man in the possession of wisdom. When we wake up in the morning and the day begins to rush in at us, when all that God has called us to be, when all that God has given us to do floods our hearts. Before we reach for our phones to find out what emails or texts or news we miss when we were sleeping, our first prayer should be, Lord, give me wisdom. Lord, make me a man who is wise. Lord, make me a man who watches at wisdom's gates, a, a man who waits 
at her doors. In other words, it's not enough for us to say, as you typically hear said, um, look, you go through life, and you live and you learn. (laughs) You just live and you learn. What Proverbs is telling you instead is no. (laughs) No. Learn well. Listen well. Wait at her doors. And then you'll be able to live well. Wisdom should be the priority of our lives, according to Proverbs. It should be a pursuit that gains um, momentum over every other pursuit, even worthy ones. So the next logical question is, what exactly is wisdom? The Bible says it's something that you need desperately, that I need desperately, but how do we recognize it enough to actually know whether we have it or, or not? How do we know what it is? What is it about wisdom that should make it such a high priority in our lives? Here's the deal. I think we should aim for a very clear definition this morning, especially since we're talking about it all semester. So it's a big win for us if you come out of here and you have a sense of knowing exactly what wisdom is as you leave. In order to do that, look with me first at verses 12 and 14. These are just representative verses. You could go in a lot of different places, but here's what verse 12 says in terms of definition. Verse 12 says, I, wisdom, dwell with prudence, and I find knowledge and discretion. And then verse 14, I have counsel and sound wisdom. I have insight. I have strength. And the reason I picked those two verses out is throughout the book, you're going to encounter many synonyms for wisdom. You see a few just here, right? Uh, uh, The word prudence, discretion, knowledge, insight. Um, Each of those words in the original language has a little bit of a different nuance. For example, one translator uses the word shrewdness. Another uses the word cunning. One uses counsel and so on. But if you put all those puzzle pieces together, if you basically combine all the synonyms for wisdom, all the nuances, I still really love the definition that was offered to me by one of my professors in seminary. He said this. He said, wisdom, as the Proverbs described it, is essentially a skill in the art of godly living. Let me say that again. Write that down. Wisdom is skill in the art of godly living. Another way of saying it is wisdom is doing the right thing in the right moment in the right way. Wisdom is skill in the art of godly living. I want to say two things about that definition this morning. The first is this. I want you to notice in the definition that wisdom is described as a skill. It's described as a skill. Now, what is a skill? Well, fundamentally, a skill is a competence in something that you actually do. A skill is something that you apply in your life. A skill is something that you practice. Wisdom is the doing part of life. It is the application of truth into the situation at hand. And that means this. Wisdom is not the same thing as high character. It's not the same thing as moral goodness. It's not the same thing as being a good guy. And wisdom is also not the same thing as knowing the right answers. It's not the same thing as information. It's not the same thing as, um, as intellectually being gifted. I'm sure, look, I, um, I could have done this myself, but I'm sure where you sit this morning, you can think of many examples of people whom you have known who have had the best of intentions in a given situation who have acted generously and selflessly and courageously, and yet who have made messes of that situation. 
They went into it, and they, um, they, they gave generously, and they enabled someone they should have never enabled. I'm sure you can think of someone, why is that? Because character isn't enough. It's not the same thing. Moral goodness isn't enough. What did they need? They needed wisdom. They needed skill to actually apply it in the moment. I'm sure you can think of other people in your lives that you've known personally who are off the charts intellectually. I'm, I'm sure this applies to none of us, right? People that you have known who are off the charts intellectually. They know how to conceptualize and articulate the right things, and yet they have made disastrous decisions that have hurt themselves and hurt people around them. Why is that? Because information is not enough. Being really smart is not enough. What did they need? They needed wisdom. People of enormous gifting and talent and status with circumstances that you would love to exchange for your own are just as capable of ruining their lives as anyone else. Just turn on the news. <laughs> it's all around us. Why is that? Because wisdom has nothing to do with gifting or talent or status. It is the skill of knowing how to translate goodness and truth and information into a given situation. The Proverbs help us with this. They help us to become skilled practitioners at real life. First of all, wisdom is a skill. The next thing I want you to know about the definition is that wisdom is not only a skill. Wisdom is also an art. Wisdom is skill in the art of godly living. Now, what does that mean? I don't know. <laughs> I mean, here's what I think it means. It means that, uh, that, um, that wisdom is defined by the moment into which it is applied. It means that wisdom is situational. That's what makes it an art. To say that wisdom is an art means that it requires more in your life than you simply following a standard set of rules. And you know this. Because there are no rules. There is no standard set of rules that can cover all the possibilities of the things that you might face in your life even today. There will always, listen to me, there will always be cracks between the rules. And sometimes those cracks will be very large. And wisdom is what is needed to fill in life that happens between those cracks. I'm just going to show you from the Proverbs for a moment. And I'm going to, you know, just to kind of get us up and moving. I need two volunteers, one from here and one from there. And I'm not going to embarrass you. All you have to do is read something with no hard words in it. Like there are no complicated words at all. So, can I get a volunteer from over here that will read a proverb for me? I will choose if you don't raise your hand soon. Okay, thank you, David. And someone over here. Just for effect. Cub! Good, you have a good loud voice, Cub. All right, men, will you stand for us? And David, will you read first um, Proverbs 26.4? And, and, and Cub, will you read second Proverbs 26.5? These are back-to-back Proverbs, Okay. And unless you think the, edit, the editor of the Proverbs um, like, is an idiot, then something else is going on here, okay? So David's going to read first, and then I'm going to get Cub 26.4 and 26.5. If you have a Bible, you can turn there. If you don't, you can just listen. Go ahead, David. Okay, answer not a fool according to his folly unless you be like him yourself. Cub, would you stand up and read Proverbs 26.5? What? 
Okay, so you just said answer not a fool according to his folly. And you said the next proverb says what? Okay, so it's, thank you, Cub, so much. So, so what is the answer? What is the rule here? Uh, and here's what I mean. If you encounter a fool today, if you encounter him in his foolishness, doing something stupid, what are you supposed to do according to the Proverbs? Who, who thinks you should not answer him at all? Raise your hand. Okay, who thinks you should answer him? Raise your hand. So, you know, this is close. So, who thinks you, uh, <laughs> who thinks you should do nothing? Um, who thinks, okay, who thinks both answers are right? Like, okay, everyone who raised their hands is right. This is a, this is a true everyone gets a trophy moment, you know, for participation. <laughs> and it's a real moment. Um, here, look, here's the point. Even in the book itself, sometimes it will be wholly appropriate. Um, for you to point out the folly of a fool. And sometimes it won't. Sometimes it will be a danger that you should avoid at great peril to yourself, and it is only by the art of taking into account the situation with all its possibilities. It is only by the art of considering the circumstances of the moment, including yourself. It is only by the art of wisdom, skill in the art of godly living, that you'll know the move that you ought to make as well as when you should make it and the right place to do it. Let me give you a few other examples that I think might be near to you this morning or um, have been near to you in the past. Should you take the job in front of you or should you wait for another offer? Should you speak up and confront this person or should you hold your tongue? Should you take a risk in life? Should you play it safe? Should you send your kids to this school or send them to this school? Should you marry this woman or is it time to call the relationship off? In one of his sermons on the Proverbs, Tim Keller, a pastor in New York, says this to his congregation. He says, I would like to suggest that a lot of you today, the reason that you have that sick, sinking feeling in your stomach about your life, is because you know that you're in a situation that you don't have the wisdom to address. It hit me when he said it because he's saying it to a generation who has the information of the world at our fingertips. Um, uh, And yet most of us find ourselves in situations that require more than information. We find ourselves in situations uh, between the cracks in order to know what to do. We find ourselves in situations that we could, we could make competent moral arguments for all the opportunities afforded to us and options in our lives, and yet we recognize that those are not enough. We need something else. We need wisdom. We need skill in the art of godly living. So where do we get it? <laughs> what is the source? Well, let's look at that finally this morning, the source of wisdom as it comes to us in this particular chapter The first thing that I want you to notice about how we get wisdom is I want you to notice at the beginning of the chapter that the poet says that wisdom is available. That's very important. (laughs) It's not hidden. Notice what he says about Lady Wisdom. The poet describes Lady Wisdom as calling from a high place. She's announcing herself. She's standing at the public crossroads. She's 
crying at the very visible gates of the city. The idea here is that wisdom is not hidden, nor is wisdom only for a special group of elite people. Wisdom wants to be found. Wisdom is transparent. It's available to you and to me and anyone else who will listen. But there's also the hint of something else here, something that I'm guessing that you know very well from your own life. We've said this before, but wisdom is personified in the chapter, right? I mean, it comes to us as a lady. We've noticed how that's a literary technique that the poet uses in order to prick our imaginations, to show us how attractive wisdom is meant to be. But what if the personification of wisdom as a lady is more than just a literary device? What if the image of wisdom as a lady is telling us something crucial about the source of wisdom? A point that the book itself makes in many other places in many different ways. For example, in the earlier chapters, wisdom is described there as a son following the voice of his father. Here, wisdom is described as a devoted suitor awaiting the presence of his beloved. Later in the book, wisdom is identified um, as a man with trusted companions. A man engaged with and willing to listen to his closest friends. And here, if you look at it, in the middle of the chapter, in the middle of the chapter, we have this scene in which Lady Wisdom is with the Lord himself at the beginning of creation. They're in companionship with one another. He is delighting in her, and she is delighting in him. What is the point? Just this, I think. In the Proverbs, wisdom never happens alone. Wisdom never happens alone. Never. In the Proverbs, wisdom is always found in relationships. It's always found in communion. It is always found in friendship. It's a father and a son. It's a husband and a wife. It's, um, it's a mentor and an apprentice. It's a community of wise counselors. In the providence of God, listen to me, no one becomes wise by himself. And that means that all of those strong images we have of men going at it alone, of men riding off into the sunset without the need to rely on anyone else, of men who, who don't have the need to be known. <laughs> All of those images are fool's gold. Wisdom is inherently relational. You need others in your life if you are ever to become wise. The early church, though, went even further than this, and I think with good reason. The other church fathers said, okay, what if Lady Wisdom... What if she's more than a literary device? What if wisdom is inherently relational? And what if the love of a suitor is not just an imaginary tool to help us understand our need for wisdom? What if wisdom, intrinsically, really is a person? And what if loving that person, what if a romance with that person, really is the first step in your life of knowing what to do and when to do it? What if there really is someone in whom the Father has delighted from all eternity? What if there really is someone through whom the world was made in joy? What if there was really someone with whom we could become wise because this person really does know the entire shape of creation, and he has said in the flesh, in the flesh, what Lady Wisdom has only said on paper. He has said to us, come unto me and be blessed. Come unto me and find life. Come unto me and live in joy as you were meant to live. Now I want you to listen to the words of Jesus from Matthew 11. He says this, 
Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart. And in me, with me, you will find rest for your souls. Come to me, he says. Come rest in me. Come learn from me. And the Apostle Paul is even more precise in 1 Corinthians because he names Jesus Christ as the wisdom and the power of God. All I'll say this morning as we close, it's not only wisdom as an idea. It's not only wisdom as a concept that is extending an invitation to you this morning. It is wisdom as a person. It is Jesus Christ himself. And the invitation is not only an invitation to become more skilled at living. (laughs) That's good. But it's really an invitation to, as this chapter points, um, to have a romance with the living God. The fruit of which is wisdom in all things, even in the cracks. What is it that you will do in order to live well in all the complexities of your life as a man today and this week? Blessed is the one who listens and waits by my doors. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for uh, the gift of your word to us, and we thank you most of all for the gift of your word made flesh in the person of your son. We pray, O Lord, that we would be wise people and we would receive his invitation, the invitation to know and to live well through a relationship with him. Would you give us wisdom? Would you know, help us to know um, the places in our lives where we need to ask for wisdom in our relationship with you? And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen.